Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast. I see a red door and I want to paint the Stick to Wrestling logo on it. I want to thank the Rolling Stones for writing that song about their favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. Where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we'll give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast. My name is John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to join us on our Facebook group. Cool discussion, results, pictures, etc. It's fun. Just trust me. And it's free. Why not? And if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, just search the name John McAdam and follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling avatar as his logo, which is also what the door is painted in that Rolling Stones song. And before that, I want to welcome our studio audience here to the Stick to Wrestling office here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Guys, give it up. Thanks for coming out. And with that, I want to bring on, it's been too long since we've had him on, but we're going to talk WWF the summer of 1982. Both of us grew up with it. Randy Smith, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me, John. No problem. They used to open up, and we open up the show every week. We we kind of mock it. And we were talking about stuff that went on in the WWF. like, uh, And they would say, discretionary viewer participation is advised for this following program. And I never knew what that meant until I was like 21. Uh, I'm 53. I still don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> I think they're saying, okay, if you've got like young, impressionable children, you might not <laughs> let them watch this. I don't know. Yeah. Many, like, many parents did not pay attention to that. Oh, no. Just be discreet in who's watching this. Okay, I've got it. But yeah, and they would open up with that. And what was the one that you just had? Oh, that would be, um, yeah, the, you cannot record uh, something about the express written consent of the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I, know, like I know that one meant, charge. yeah, I know that one meant you couldn't, uh, couldn't record it and show it or supposedly couldn't. I don't know. I, I always pictured that, like, you couldn't charge someone to come in your house and watch wrestling with you. <laughs> Who does well, that? In the days before pay-per-view, that could have happened. I guess. Some poor old dude. Hey, for a quarter, you can have an hour of wrestling. Yeah, ah. for, and that's for nickel. You can watch the Salvatore Belomo squash match. Oh, Salvatore Belomo has already debuted in the World Wrestling Federation uh, spring 1982. What did you think of all Salvatore Belomo when you first laid eyes on him? I, I knew even as a uh, 12-year-old kid, I knew he was not going to get over <laughs> he he just try. I mean, it, people. I went to a lot of the TV tapings, and people they just didn't didn't like. It, it was almost like he tried too hard. Uh, he, he was like you know the typical chubby Italian kid walking around in Queens. Yeah, and he he wanted people to like him, but nobody liked him. I I kind of felt bad for him. He had that silly comb over <laughs> that was just the so... comb over and the the you know the the one piece that he wore with. Uh, the Italian colors on it. Yeah. It, it, it didn't work. Well, we'll get to these in about a couple of years, even longer than that. But Sal was quite the sensation on Piper's pit. <laughs> he, yeah. He, uh, he was on one that when he came out for the junkyard dog, I don't know if you remember that. That's the one I'm talking about. Oh yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> the one at the Meadowlands. That's, yep. <laughs> That's the one I'm thinking about too. Uh, yeah. That, that was something else there. 
It, uh, nothing like Salvatore Lobo coming out to another one bites the dust. That'll <laughs> that'll make you do a double take and question life. <laughs> so yeah, tell us a little bit more. Like you, you during this era were going to the All Star Wrestling uh, TV tapings. At yeah. Denver. Yeah, I I went to uh, I want to say in eighty two and eighty three we went to the majority of them. They had them every three weeks. I probably went to, I would say maybe between twelve and fifteen. And I I wish I I mentioned this last time. I wish I could find my notebook. I had this yellow spiral notebook that every time I went I wrote everything in it. And uh, I know I didn't throw it away, and I know it it didn't get thrown away. It's somewhere. I I just got to find it, but. I used to have a notebook like that that I would write down the TV results, and I got bored with it and stopped doing it and lost the notebook. And thanks yeah. to like the history of WWE.com, which I don't give enough credit to on this show. I mean, I can just go back and look. They have it. Right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, where we left off, spring 1982, we left off at the uh, June 28th Madison Square Garden show that had the third and final New York match between Bob Backlund and Superfly Jimmy Snuka. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a Boston Garden guy, but the Madison Square Garden was the heart of the WWF territory. That was the city. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you had MSG was a big one, and then, you know, right underneath that would have been, like, Boston Garden, Philadelphia Spectrum. Um those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head, but there, there were in Baltimore, Baltimore, yeah. Baltimore arena. Yeah. That would be another. And yeah, I mean, the WWF is doing really well. They are having hundred thousand dollar houses every Saturday night. And I marvel the fact that two years later, Vince decides that, yeah, I'll just get rid of that model. <laughs> but he came out ahead. He's a billionaire today. <laughs> he he did something right along the way. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, reinvented a business that did not need reinventing and it worked out anyway. So but like Backlund and uh, Snooker are still going around the horn everywhere else. We'll talk about that. The Strongbows had just won the tag team titles seemingly at Madison Square Garden, but we had learned that they had been held up. Randy, I have always said that when the Strongbows came back to the WWF, they were red hot, whether or not it should have been is another question, but they were red hot. They put the belts on them pretty quickly, and I felt like they lost all momentum when they put the titles back on Fuji and Saito. And the the traditional wrestling thought is that the money was in the chase, but you poured they poured ice water on the Strongbows. I never got out of. I started watching uh, late seventy nine, early nineteen eighty they were definitely the weakest tag team champions I could remember up to that point. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't buy them. I didn't buy them as champions. I didn't, I didn't think they were, they had what it took. I mean, you had guys prior to that, you know, Tony Guerrero, Rick Martel, baby fish team. People loved them. They could both, you know, Martel more than Guerrero could work The Samoans. They were tough, you know, nobody could beat them. And, Strongbows came along. They, I don't know. I, I think it had a lot to do with you know Jay Strongbow pretty much being at the end of the career at that point. He he was yeah. pretty old at that point. He he couldn't move around too good anymore. Uh, Jules was pretty much nothing more than a, a glorified jobber from the AWA. Yeah, it didn't work okay. out for me. 
All right, wow, because they were they were really over with my friends and myself, and they were very over it seemed in Boston at least to start with maybe it's a Chief J Strongbow thing in the Boston area because he's he to this day he was popular when he died I heard them announce that he died on the radio and it's like yeah, that's unheard of he he was I mean he I think the popularity carried him you know to that point in 80 you know in 82 uh, he, he was still he's still at the popularity he had from 10 15 years prior but he he wasn't believable in the ring for somebody who would just be watching him for the first time yeah i i can see that i mean i had a friend who's a a non-fan and we'll talk a little bit more about him later he he was just there to hang out we were watching wrestling and he was like yeah wow this guy's crazy i like him but again it, it could be a regional thing uh i'll tell you what we do have some audio this time uh let's roll with a a blackjack mulligan promo for the upcoming Madison Square Garden show, which is coming up on August 2nd, 1982. Anytime you hear, you hear audio like this on the Stick to Wrestling podcast, it is for review purposes only. Let's hear from Blackjack. Start you to join us right now, ladies and gentlemen, giant light in every fashion. Six feet, nine inches of the man, over 330 pounds of Blackjack Mulligan. But there are many Mr. Mulligan who feel that in a Texas death match, which is, of course, a no holes barred affair that you have bitten off a little bit more than you can chew as it relates to your opponent andre the giant who really cares what a few people think let's just get right down to the facts of it Vic man i'm probably suffering from a little bit of overconfidence right now because i've got everything going my way having defeated handily andre the giant on two occasions having put him down on his back don't interrupt me just a minute Andre was down on his back, begging for mercy, humiliated, embarrassed for the first time in his life. And you know, that's a hard thing for a man to swallow with an ego like Andre the Giant's got. Texas Deathmatch, you dummy. You signed the contract. You signed the line. One of the most dangerous matches in all of wrestling. You've never even had one before. No rules. No disqualification. Just a plain battle, outright brawl. Not much of a wrestling match right to the finish and you can throw chairs you can tear madison square garden up all you want to brother but the thing is i'm going to be victorious and i may bring something you have no idea no rules there's going to be a winner goodbye andre the giant no way i can lose a supremely confident and a few individuals would argue with immense blackjack mulligan all right i, was, I thought that was a good interview by blackjack mulligan Mulligan could talk. He 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 was good on the mic. <laughs> but then, when it comes to throwing a punch, well, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh, he was another Mulligan was one of those. I read about him in the magazine. Never saw him before. Then when he came to the WWF, and I actually got to see him, he he didn't live up to the expectations I had. You know how I visioned him in my mind, but uh, he had that thing going with Andre. They pushed that a little bit. And whenever he'd put the claw on, they put the big red X on the TV. Yes. That kind of frightened me a little bit as a kid. I didn't know, you know, if he was like legitimately crushing the guy's head or what. But uh, yeah, Mulligan worked out as a heel back in 82. 
It, it did. I remember when they brought him in, I was very surprised and quite naively so because Mulligan had been a baby face for about three or four years in the Carolinas. And then he comes up here and he's a bad guy. And the after mags write these crazy stories about how it's, uh, how it created a rift between he and his legit son, Barry Windham. <laughs> yeah. You often wonder if they had brought Mulligan in, in 82, if they had tried pushing him as baby fist, what, who could they have, what, what would they have done with him? I, I think the only option to bring him in would have been as heel. I, I could be wrong, but I don't know what they would have done with him as a baby face. If they brought him in, in, in 82. I, I can't imagine them using him as a babyface in 1982. Again, you know, now that I know better, we already have Andre the Giant up here. So you first, you know, you do what they did. You have him go around the horn against Bob Backlund once, and then give him the feud with Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. And there, to me, in 1980, they finally started using Andre the Giant correctly. They used to have it so that Andre would just show up and throw guys around. Then in 1980, they give him the big feud with Hulk Hogan. Uh, He busts Hulk Hogan up. uh, Hulk Hogan busts Andre up on on national TV. They have the big match at Chase Stadium. They have two matches all around the circuit. Then 81, Andre gets the feud against Killer Khan. You know, not a giant, but a really big guy. And here we are in 82, we're feeding him Blackjack Mulligan, and, and mm. Mulligan bl- busted him open on TV. It all makes sense. Right. Yep. Well, what they did one thing on TV, before we talk about the Boston Garden show, uh, where Bob Backlund is wrestling Tony Gurria in an exhibition match. And poor Tony, uh, he starts screaming when Bob puts the chicken wing on him, which was a, a fairly new hold that Backlund was using. He had gotten away from the atomic drop. And... Uh, you know, so this is what they're using Tony Gurria as. You notice Ivan Putsky's not doing this. Tony Atlas isn't doing this. Yeah, they needed somebody to do it. And uh, who better than Tony Gurria? Uh, at, at this point in Tony's career, that's kind of his role. He is, you know, even the tag team championship, you know, those days are over. He's they're just gone. another guy. Yeah. Yep. All right. So July 17th, 1982, I attended this show at the Boston Garden. I can't believe it. Wow. 40 years ago, we're recording this on Saturday. So 40 years ago tomorrow, we had been had. There was no air conditioning in the Boston Garden. And we were in the middle of a heat wave, three days of 90 degrees plus. But it was closer to 100. It was high 90s. We get to the garden. There's a bank outside the building on Causeway Street. And it says it's 109 degrees. Now, I don't believe the air was 109. I bet that piece of concrete was close to 109 (laughs) because the sun had been pounding on it for two days. And we go in the Boston Garden, and it is an oven. It is insanely hot in there. And, you know, the Boston Garden used to be kind of dangerous. Guys would get drunk, and they'd fight. And we go in, and, like, these drunk guys have taken off their shirts, and it's just a mess. And I'll read the results, but my God, all of the matches were terrible because no one wanted to work in this oven. So anyway, Pete Pete Sanchez and Johnny Rods go to a 15-minute draw, which was not good. Steve Travis over Pete Doherty. Steve Travis recently returns to the WWF in 10 minutes and 29 seconds. Randy, you remember Steve Travis from 1979. What did you think about his return to the WWF in 1982? 
Um, Tony Gurria 2.0. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he he was nothing more than a mid-card guy. Never going to go higher. Uh, Couldn't really go low. I mean, they they basically fed him. They'd have him go to a draw or win a match against the lower-card guy, but anytime he went against anybody name-worthy, they'd have him lose. Yeah, and it's a shame, too, because I think he was a little bit more over than his push. People liked his tag team with Rick McGraw, the Carolina Connection. They did, and I remember him, too, from – do you remember when he worked uh, Crockett before that, I think, uh, Steve Muslin? Yes. Yeah, he went under the name Muslin back then. I remember right after he left the WWF, he showed up on Knoxville TV – and he was Steve Travis still, but he had shaved his mustache and was now wearing a cowboy hat. So they they changed him up a little bit. Yeah, he he bounced around a lot, and, uh, but he he never went up, uh, nowhere above a mid card guy. No, he didn't. And his career tragically ended. I want to say in '84 when he got into a really bad car accident. The car, yeah, I remember reading about that. I I don't don't remember much about it, but I remember reading about a car accident he had. Yeah, and, and you know, steer, people forget, man, that guy was cut up, and, well, we all know why. Steve has told us why. Um, Blackjack Mulligan over Tony Gurria. These Strongbows defeat the Fuji and Saito in a Texas death match. It must have been a non-title match. Uh, let me see. And then Jimmy Snuka versus Bob Backlund goes to a double disqualification at 25 minutes. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, that sounds like a pretty good match. This match was horrible. And Snuka was holding Backlund in a headlock for, it might have been 10 minutes, it was probably more like five, as he watched the fights in the stands at the Boston Garden. <laughs> there were there were times they did that, and yeah, people would fight in the crowd. They'd, uh, you know, the guys in the ring would watch the fight in the crowd. I saw that happen at Hamburg a little while, you know, a long time ago. Probably, yeah. that might have been 80 or 81 when that happened, but... Uh, I mean, just the length of the headlock shows you how many fights were going on at the Boston Garden. It was absolute chaos on this night. But, yeah, this is a a terrible match. Uh, The aforementioned Salvatore Belomo defeats Jose Estrada. Tony Atlas defeats the Black Demon at 520. Tony Atlas, how did you see Tony Atlas in 1982, Randy? Tony was over. He was over big time. Uh, More in 80. I want to say 81, that was a big year for him in the, in the WWF. He, uh, he had a few, well, with Hulk Hogan for a little while, right before Hogan left, I think that would have been, yes. you know, sometime in 81. Yeah. Uh, he, he was over any, I mean, he always got, you know, people would pop for him whenever he came to the ring. I mean, sure thing. And I saw Tony Atlas as a potential, like, uh, you know, I knew the day was going to come eventually when Backlund lost the title. And when he did, I'm like, okay, we might be seeing Tony Atlas as the next WWF champion or maybe even the next NWA champion. That's how over he was with me. Mm -hmm. He he was very over. Yeah. All right. Second to last match, SD Jones beat Swede Hansen by DQ. So, you know, we're just hanging in there. And then Pedro Morales, it says, defends Bob Orton in six minutes and 38 seconds. I think it was much shorter than that because I remember we were looking forward to 
Morales versus Orton. Orton had a really good match the month before uh, at Boston Garden against uh, Bob Backlund. And then, so, okay, we're looking forward to another good Bob Orton Jr. match. And he comes to the ring, and his whole right arm is completely from, like, the top of, of the bottom of the shoulder down to the wrist, covered in tape, and then each of his fingers and his thumb had, you know, tape all over them. So it was obvious he was wrestling with an injury and we hung out for this last match and they got in and out of there. Bob, Bob was basically uh, toughing, toughing it out. Yeah. Back in the early ages, you could fix anything with tape, (laughs) broken arm, broken hand, fix concussion, fix it with tape. (laughs) Now, Pedro Morales has been, uh, Intercontinental Champion, you know, minus Morocco's reign uh, since 1980. What were your thoughts in 1982 of Pedro Morales being the Intercontinental Champion? It was time to put the belt on someone else at that time. Um, I, I thought so too. Yeah, he he was over in the beginning. I mean, when he, uh, you know, in '80 and '81, you know, especially you know when he lost it to Morocco and won it back for Morocco again. He was over, um, but it, it, again, I think he he played himself out. You know the the hand clapping and the you know the things he did in the ring, they didn't work anymore. And as a regular fan, a kid at that time, I had gotten tired of seeing him with it. I wanted to see somebody else with that belt on. Yeah, by summer of 1982, I kind of felt the same way, and I look back. And I see Pedro as, you know, clearly the best number two baby face in the Backlund era. Actually, he was probably better than anyone in the Bruno era that I saw. I started watching in 1976. But so I give him credit for that. But it's feeling a little bit played out by this point. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'll tell you what. Let's go back and hear some more audio. Let's hear Bob Backlund and see what he has to say about his upcoming match against Bob Orton Jr. at Madison Square Garden. In a moment, our guest, the World Wrestling Federation champion, Bob Backlund, preparing for his title defense and against Cowboy Bob Orton. Yeah, Vince, you know, this is, uh, like we've said before, I've been building for a long, long time, and he's come out here and called me different names uh, time and time and again, and I'm not going to lower myself and uh, call him any names, but I'm going to, it's sure going to make me work out hard. It's sure going to make me get ready when I get into that ring, and I'm going to remember all those names, and I'm going to do my darndest to defeat this man, maybe even get him in the chicken wing and uh, dish out a little pain for him. That's why uh, that hole is put into my repertoire of holes, just uh, like people, like, for people like that, and uh, I want to prove to all those fans out there that I'm not a coward. Uh, there's too many young kids out there that I uh, get very, very close with. Uh, moms and dads, the grandmas, the grandpas, they're all part of my family. I share the WWF title with them, and I want them to be proud of me. I uh, I don't want to let any of them down. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Vince. Bob Backlund, ladies and gentlemen, his commentary on Monday night, August 2nd, title defense, Madison Square Garden. For all the moms and the dads and the grandmas and grandpas out there, no wonder my friends and I had already all turned on Bob Backlund. I I pretty much turned on him in that interview. I'm I'm looking at the wall here. <laughs> what the hell did I just hear? <laughs> um yeah, he, he uh wasn't very good on the mic, but um I don't know. He, again, you'd mentioned he by this time 
Kind of like uh, Pedro. I wanted to see the belt on Snuka at this time. Everybody did. And, you know, for Backlund to have been the baby fizz and Snuka the heel, and it was totally the opposite if you, you know, when you watch them. Snuka got cheered, Backlund got booed. That was kind of the writing on the wall right there. Yeah, it was all coming to a head. I mean, if you watch the Backlund versus Snuka matches, from uh, Madison Square Garden and the Philadelphia Spectrum. I mean, Snuka gets a sizable amount of cheers. And I can tell you personally, when I used to go to the Boston Garden, it was like 90, 95% of the fans were cheering for the baby faces. And Jimmy Snuka was the guy who moved that needle. All of a sudden now you've got people cheering for the heel, which was unthinkable. And I've said this on the show before. Once the fans do it the first time, it becomes easier to do it every other time yeah you're you're right about that i don't recall anybody you know any heel getting cheered before snooka i mean a couple of them here and there a little bit but snooka totally turned everything around he he was a heel but people loved him and the more he tried to play a heel the more people loved that and the more they cheered yeah, Snooka, and well, well, we'll talk about this in a minute. Superstar Billy Graham used to get a lot of cheers, but I wasn't going to the matches at that point. But, you know, I see Madison Square Garden. He's got getting some cheers, but mostly it's the Brunos and the Putskis and, you know, just the baby faces that are getting cheered. Mil Mascaris, you know, it was nowhere close. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham versus Jimmy Snooka. Right. Now, and Randy, you probably remember this. Snooka is now going through a little bit of a metamorphosis. He used to have the big, crazy hair. He used to have a goatee. And when he first got here, he was wrestling in boots. Now he is wrestling barefoot. He's shaved his face, and his hair is now a lot shorter. He looks completely different. And, I mean, even I kind of suspected a babyface turn was coming. Like I said, they he was now groomed. It, it was inevitable. They they had to turn him. Uh, they, they couldn't keep playing him as a heel. People weren't buying him as a heel. They couldn't keep playing him that way. I mean, no, it, it's not what the fans wanted to see. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know how wrestling worked back then. But I remember, like, right around this time, summer 1982, being like, you know, hey, they, ha- you know, This guy should be a good guy. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what. Let's play one last bit of audio leading up to the August 2nd, 1982 Madison Square Garden. Now, I have to tell you guys this. I only have three interviews coming into the show, and I I don't know why. Because I was going through my stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've been living a lie the entire time. I thought I had plenty of audio from WWF 1982. I do. I just don't have a lot from this show. But uh, here we go with the last one. The challenger, Bob Orton Jr. and his manager, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. In a moment, our guest, no doubt an individual, a group of them, with a divergent view from what we just heard. Is that not correct, Grand Wizard? If what we said, that you're a coward, Backland, that you've got a six-inch yellow streak, Backland, that you're a crybaby, if that isn't true, why don't you sue us for libel or slander? You can't, because everything that Bob Orton has said about you is true, and he's going to prove it in Madison Square Garden when he takes the crown. Correct, 
Mr. Orton? You got it, baby. The time for word is finished. What's gonna happen, baby? The World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship is on the line. It's me and you, Backlund. You're the champion. I'm the challenger. But when the match is over, I'm gonna be the champion. Bob Backlund, I've got a superplex. You've got a chicken wing. Whoever gets his hold first is gonna be the winner. Well, I think I can beat you to it, baby, because I've been practicing. I've been getting ready. I've been waiting for the wizard to say go, and the wizard has said the time is now, August the 2nd, Backlund, the day that you lose. We thank you for joining us as well, Mr. Orton, along with the Grand Wizard of Wrestling, a very confident cowboy, Bob Orton. Again, accusations being made as relates to cowardice on the part of Bob Backlund. We shall indeed find out who is the better man. As a clash for the World Wrestling Federation Championship in Madison Square Garden, notwithstanding the matchup of the Battle of the Giants. Andre the Giant and a no-hose-barred, the first time ever, a no-hose-barred match for Andre as he meets huge Black Jack Mulligan and, of course, the Intercontinental title matchup, Pedro Morales against the Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. And Mr. Snuka will no doubt be tutored by his manager, Luis Albano, and really be high as a kite for this one as he attempts to take away the World Wrestling Federation Championship from Pedro Morales. All of those matches and many more headed your way to Madison Square Garden. Jimmy wow. Snuka wow. is going to be high as a kite. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that 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 was that was a little shot there. I think <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Snooker's problems had to be a little bit out of control. I mean, we'll we'll get to this probably next week, but they brought in Buddy Rogers specifically to babysit Jimmy Snooker. Uh, yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> My God, that that would. I'll tell you what, though. You listen to that. I the Grand Wizard was so terrific on the microphone as a, as a manager the way he talked and uh, you know then you had Orton and you know smooth as a mirror when he talked and uh, that, those were the kind of interviews I like to watch. I, I miss these days and I have ne- I've heard the word slander used many times. Wizard slander. Great. He he was terrific on the microphone. Terrific. And you know, it, it, it's it's kind of sad because he's got about a year to go here. And it, it you yeah. just there were no for me, there were no warning signs. It came out of nowhere. It it totally came out of nowhere, yeah. And you know, you hear the rumors, like you know, that you hear from someone, yeah, Grand Wizard died, and you're like, Yeah, right. And then they announce it on TV and it's on the cover of the program, and not that that sucked. That was the really the end of an era. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, I, I mentioned this before on the podcast that I was on before when you know, talking about the, the TV tapings of the Hamburg Fieldhouse. I, I mentioned this and I'll tell it again real quick. I mean, the, the wizard, I loved him, but I hated him. And if I recall correctly, it was, I think the last time he actually did a Hamburg TV taping was uh, late August or early September of 83. And the the TV taping, the next TV taping, I made a sign. Some kind of like the Grand Wizard is Tinkerbell, something dumb that a 12, 11, 12 year old <laughs> kid would have made. And I brought it with me and God damn it, he wasn't there. And that pissed me off. And that was on a Wednesday and Saturday when they actually showed the, the TV show, they showed him in the beginning that he had died. And that, 
Yeah, kind of a reality check there, you know, because yeah. they didn't announce it. They didn't announce it at the show. I believe he had already passed away by the that was on a Wednesday night. He uh, had we, to have. And I believe he passed away over the weekend before that. But they never, never mentioned it in the show. Whereas today, you know, they would have had Gary Capetta on the microphone doing a 10 bell salute, whatever. But uh, they didn't mention it the whole night. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody knew anything. I don't think anyone knew anything. And until that weekend when they actually showed that he had died. No, it's it's a different world. I mean, you know, yeah. when someone of note dies, we find about out about it right away on Twitter and Facebook. And, yep. But back then, we were also clueless. Yep. Right. Different Let's world. Let's talk a little bit. Totally different world. Let's talk a little bit about Bob Orton Jr. He was great on the mic here, uh, and I loved him. He was so good in the ring back when I didn't even know what that was. But I mean, I kind of most of the time I didn't think the challenger had a real shot at winning the championship but i mean here i thought orton had no shot bob orton uh, when i the first time i saw bob orton i mean you got to remember back in 1982 you didn't have you didn't see the moves that you saw today the first time i ever saw him do a superplex and it it was only from the middle rope too it wasn't even the top rope Uh, that blew my mind i had never never seen anything like that before in my life and uh I, I, I loved Orton. I loved Orton, you know, when they brought him in. Uh, he he was a different kind of heel. I mean, he wasn't the heel that people love like Jimmy Snuka, but he wasn't totally that out of control. He he was just a badass dude who, who didn't look like a badass dude. But when he got in the ring, he presented himself in the ring like a badass. It's hard to explain, but he, he was a different kind of heel. I loved him. I loved him too. He was different than the typical WWF heel in that he wasn't a giant. He was he was one of the smaller heels that Bob Backlund worked against. But I mean, it, it all worked out. It's not like people didn't go go see wrestling. Oh yeah, he he could work. I mean, he could you know he he could easily do a thirty minute match if needed. And you know, I, I like Bob Orton. No, I was absolutely a big fan of his. And yet, when I first saw the Superplex, it was from uh, the Super Destroyer in Georgia, probably about seven or eight months before Orton got here, and it knocked me out of my seat. So now Orton's doing it. and But I'd seen it before, but it's still a great-looking, impressive maneuver. Mm-hmm. Now, Grand Wizard, what do you, let's say Grand Wizard had not passed October 1983, and he worked a few years, or do you think he would have worked a few years into the Hogan era? I've actually thought about that. I, I think he kind of he kind of would have got fizzed out the way Blasi and Albano did, and you know, definitely by '84. Um, you know, sometime in '84, I think he kind of. I don't. I, out of out of the three of them, I could see the Wizard having lasted the longest, though. Out of the three of them, Blasi, Albano, Wizard, uh, I, I think he could. I think he had another good two or three years left in him. But everything changed too much in in 1984 to say whether or not he would have made it. It is hard to say, and that's why you know the great. I mean, it really could have gone in an extreme way in either different direction. I mean, I could have. I could they see were, him like. Yeah, they. I'm, I'm gonna. They were really, really you know, going to push him and Orndorff. And I would have loved to have seen that. 
but unfortunately yeah. he passed away right you know uh maybe a, a couple weeks after Orndorf came in i believe he he died and i, I think it was a couple weeks before because I, I know they were they were putting him with or- Orndorf. yeah they definitely were and that that would have been good the wisdom and Orndorf together they that would have worked that would have worked great i mean just the the overall style of both of them you know the wizard with all the flashy shiny outfits that he wore Paul Orndorff with the $1,000 robe that we never saw before other than on Ric Flair. I, I think the two of them together would have been dynamite. I agree. And I think Grand Wizard, you know, I mean, we know behind the scenes that, you know, Vince McMahon was always going to take care of him and he was probably going to have a job as long as he wanted one. But I, I kind of doubt he would have been a big star in the Hulk Hogan era. I think he would have gotten like a Jimmy Hart level push. Yeah. I mean, and you know, he wouldn't have, he would have never taken a bump. And I, I don't ever recall him, you know, maybe one or two here or there when he got knocked over, but you know, he wouldn't take a bump. It, it, it was changing to where managers had to get more involved. You know, they had to, choke the guy when the referee wasn't looking or do the wizard never did anything like that really he just stood out there you know when the guy won the match he came in the ring he raised his hand when the guy had an interview he would talk for him and introduce him and let the guy talk the wizard did not physically get involved the way you know the everything was turning to everybody being physically involved that wouldn't have worked out for him no, it wouldn't have. As a matter of fact, um, if I recall correctly, or unless I'm missing something, I started watching in 1976. Grand Wizard was, you know, a big part of the show. He passed away in 1983. The only time I ever saw him get physically involved is the match between uh, Greg Valentine and Chief J. Strongbow, where he poured water on Greg Valentine to revive him. That's it. That's all I ever saw. Yeah, I never. I never saw anything happen with him, and it worked though. I mean, it for what he did, it it worked, and I think the majority of it working for him. Like we heard in that interview, he had a unique way of talking that nobody else had. And there was an interview uh, I saw it on YouTube. He McMahon. I, I think the Grand Wizard was actually with Bugsy McGraw. And, you know, McMahon said something and was like, you bet your sweet bippy McMahon. And <laughs> just to hear, hear the wizard say, you bet your sweet bippy. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it, you can't, you can't recreate that anything like, you know, anything like that now. But back then you, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear anybody talk like that. No, you didn't. And Grand Wizard and Bugsy McGraw, we may have found the oddest couple in a sport where the odd couples run wild. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll plug your, your Facebook page. I actually have that match uploaded. I'll, I'll put the link of it on, on, the, on the Facebook page. Outstanding. And you, can, you can watch that interview. Yep. All right. Yeah, and this is Bugsy McGraw back when he had a, a full black beard and his head shaved, completely <laughs> shaved. So a little bit different than his Florida and JCP days. All right. Madison Square Garden, August 2nd, 1982. Uh, not televised. I have never seen any of this. Uh, opens with a women's match. Uh, Mula and Leilani Kai against Vivian St. John and Peggy Lee. Uh, Johnny Rods and Pete Sanchez go to a double disqualification. That's a little bit weird for Madison Square Garden early in the card. 
Uh, oh, Tony Gurria fights Steve Travis to a draw. Is there any more of a Tony Gurria or Steve Travis result than that? Wow. That, that's everything in a nutshell right there that you need to know. <laughs> uh, Salvatore Boloma defeats Jose Estrada. Uh, let me see. SD Jones over Swede Hansen. Then Ivan Putski wrestles twice in a row. He beats Mr. Saito, and then he beats Mr. Fuji. Okay. Uh, the Strongbows <laughs> over the Masked Demons. Remember the Masked Demons? I do. I remember. I remember the, there were a couple demons. They had the black demon, the red demon. Uh, they had the, the mass demons for a tag team. I think you know if they were shorthanded, they just, they had mass backstage. You know, throw a mask on a guy and put him out. Uh, anybody could have been the mass demon. I I remember seeing them once. Uh, as a tag team on all-star wrestling. And it was almost like, you know, this, this jobber tag team, except they won the match, but you know, they weren't going anywhere because for starters, they didn't have a manager and anyone, any heel you needed to take seriously in the WWF had a manager. Yeah. It's Either almost Al- like Albano, Blassie or the Wizards. Yeah. You had that one of the three, if you were a heel or, you know, you weren't taken seriously. I mean, I remember Sweet Hansen coming back, and he didn't have a manager. And I was like, okay, Sweet Hansen's not even getting the push he got in 1979. Right. All right. We got Jimmy Snuka defeating Pedro Morales via countout. Uh, Andre beats Blackjack Mulligan in a Texas death match. And Bob Backlund defeats Bob Orton Jr. at 23 minutes. This was definitely not the order that they that the matches occur because they never had the championship match last uh i wish i could see this though i mean madison square garden backland and orton I'm, i'll bet that was a good match that yeah even that's kind of the right amount of, that that's a very good amount of time between the two of them uh you know the two of them you know they could have both went a lot longer uh but 23 minutes is a pretty good amount of time too and i i would i would like to see a backland orton match that went for over 20 minutes yeah mm-hmm. I got to see one. I've said this on the show before. Bob Backlund against Bob Orton Jr. at the Boston Garden in 1982 is one of the best arena matches I'd ever seen. And then back then, I didn't know what a good match was versus a, a bad match. It was all just a match. And right. I remember coming home being like, oh, my God, you should have seen Backlund and Orton. That was just a great match. All right. So post-Madison Square Garden or post uh, that Madison Square Garden show, we have a lot going on. Randy, on uh, on the taping of August 7th, 1982, we have the debut of one mighty Joe Thunder. Dear God. Now, <laughs> I, now, I just got done saying, like, I didn't know who was good and who was bad. But cl- this guy stood out. You know, to me, just a guy who reads the magazines as where did they find this guy? He is beyond awful. I th- I think we all thought that. I mean, he he didn't even look. He he looked like an old guy that was big, you know, tall, but terribly out of shape. And I never saw anybody move around like that in the ring. And I think that was actually the one pat. Pat Patterson was laughing the whole time on commentary during one of his matches, I think. Oh man. And yeah, he, he, he kind of had that weird 
old guy body like uh, Killer Kowalski had in his later years. You know what I mean? With really, I do the really stick figure legs and kind of a, a, a swollen gut, and and the arms were thin, but they still had the height. And I I can't even describe. Uh, I I'm trying to think. The last time I watched Mighty Joe Thunder might have been. I think I found it on YouTube a few years ago and I watched it and it was even more horrible than I remember. And I, I think I blocked it out from that time until now when you <laughs> mentioned it again for good reason too, but I'm, I'm probably going to have to go back and watch that again. Now I, I remember that it, it was horrible and it was only a once and done thing too. I can tell you, uh, I've never, I never saw Mighty Joe Thunder at the Hamburg Fieldhouse, and I was going a lot. I think Mighty Joe Thunder only did one set of TV tapings in Allentown for Championship Wrestling, and I think he was. I think you're right. I think that was it, and they never, never saw him, never mentioned again after that. A couple of things. Number one, looking back, I am actually a little bit surprised that they even let his matches air. I'm surprised they didn't just put something, anything else on because he really stood out as a guy who just did not know what he was doing. And not not only the physical stuff that Randy was talking about, uh, like appearance wise, but like he couldn't move. And he had these bizarre facial expressions. And I was like, where did they get this guy? I'd been reading the magazines for over five years. I'd never seen this guy before. I've never seen Mighty Joe Thunder listed in results or anything. So I'm like, yo, did they just pick this guy off a street corner? I I was serious. Like, where did they get him? I think, didn't they introduce him from like Juneau, Alaska or somewhere in alaska i think they yeah. pulled him from and yeah i i don't know if <laughs> i mean they he legit could have could have been from alaska i don't know i don't know where he came from or where he went after that night because after that one set of tv tapings he did that one night never again never heard anything <laughs> nope never mentioned know. again and for yep. good reason yeah I, and- definitely so then I learned like 20 years after the fact that, no, they didn't just pick this guy up off a street corner. He was a wrestler in the 60s. I forget his name. It doesn't matter. And he'd been retired for at least 10 years. And this is the guy they choose to have on TV with Albano. But wait, supposedly he was supposed to be part of the Snooka turn. And obviously they ditched that idea. Wow, I yeah, they good thing they did too. I mean, that that wouldn't he couldn't even do a squash match, let alone have a have an impact on a major babyface turn like that. And this is right when Vince McMahon, well, when Vince Jr., as they call him, took over for Vince Senior, and it, it just struck me as okay. Looking back now, like Vince's inexperience is showing here. The fact that that even made it to television, it, you know, we're just having some growing pains right now. Yeah, I, it, it is kind of questionable. I don't think they had a lot of. I don't think they had a lot they could really do though at that time. I mean, they didn't have like the the editing technique, or you know, because if you watch Championship Wrestling from '82, I mean it you know, the lighting is bad and nothing's really edited out of there or anything. 
maybe they they just didn't have any content i i would have definitely you know if that were my promotion i would have definitely not aired him at all especially knowing that he he never came back after that too yeah, especially knowing that you've already sent him home. So yeah, why not yeah. just air an old Backlund match as a treat for the fans or whatever. But all right, now I'll tell you what, before we talk about the, the next return to the WWF, let's hear some audio for the upcoming Madison Square Garden show, August 30th, 1982. I want to apologize because there's some static on this audio. Uh, this is surviving footage from 40 years ago and here we go let's hear from buddy rose the new number one contender and the grand wizard of wrestling monday night august the 30th championship wrestling returns to the air conditioned madison square garden monday night august 30 we'll see the super pole live in putski square off against cowboy bob orton which you'll see as well four of the outstanding mighty midget wrestlers in tag team action and then from there the six men tag team matchup We'll see huge, mammoth, massive Black Jack Mulligan teaming up with Mr. Fuji, Mr. Saito, against the threesome of Jules and Jay, the Strongbow Brothers, and their tag team partner, the one and the only, Andre the Giant. And then from there, Ivan Putsky with double duty, attempting to maintain order as the guest referee, when once again, the superfly Jimmy Snuka clashes with dynamic Pedro Morales. That, of course, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the participants in the main event. The World Wrestling Federation title up for grabs against our next guest, the opponent now, the ranked number one contender, Playboy Buddy Rose. Do you feel you are deserving of your number one contention? I've been deserving for the last four years. The last seven, I have ruled the West Coast. And Bob Backlund come out there the last four years since he's won the championship out in Los Angeles and around the area. And I said, defend your title against me. And he said, no, not on your home turf. So I had to come east. And east I came and east I'm here. And Madison Square Garden will see me for the first time. The man with the golden spoon all his life. The man with the diamonds. The man with the gold. The man with the cars, with the women. I've got it all except one thing, that championship belt. And that's the goal of every wrestler in professional wrestling. There's been wrestlers for four years coming out here looking all around saying they're going to win the title. But a man that looks another man in the eye, and I'm looking you people square in the eye, speaks the truth. I will back up what I say because on August 30th, Monday night, in Madison Square Garden, it'll go down in history. A new world's champion. The belt will change hands. I promise you that. A lot of wrestlers have said it. A lot of them. And it didn't happen. But I promise you, you'll get in your cars. You'll drive home and you'll look at each other in that car and say it. And you'll say he backed up what he said. I got to have that belt because I want to keep living this lifestyle. Right, Wiz? Absolutely correct. And you've made such an issue out of the fact that the man was born wealthy with a silver spoon in his mouth. Well, it didn't bother President Kennedy any when he was in office. And it's not going to bother champion Buddy Rose when he takes over the belt. If it's a crime to have wealth, then we're guilty as can be and love it. The Grand Wizard along with the now ranked number one contender, Playboy Buddy Rose on his way to Madison Square Garden to lock up with the World Wrestling Federation champion Bob Backlund on the 30th of August. A lot to okay. cover here. <laughs> Randy, have you ever seen 
the 1985 comedy classic Better Off Dead. <laughs> I, I have not. I'm still trying to get over McMahon calling Ivan Putski a super pole. <laughs> well, I think he 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 had super fly in his mind, and I think that was a, a quick roundabout super pole. Okay, <laughs> that threw me off guard. I never heard that. <laughs> they, he's he's actually used that one before. I've I've heard him use that, but in, in Better Off Dead, which I believe is still available to watch for free with ads on YouTube, this movie was a riot, and in, in one of the characters. In the movie, they moved from uh, from Japan to the United States, and he learned how to speak English exclusively by listening to Howard Cosell. And the, <laughs> and I'm just imagining a guy like you could do this with with Vince McMahon. You have the guy you know learning English and saying, and then from there, notwithstanding, you know, no one else says these things. <laughs> Super Paul. And again, the the Grand World Servers highlighted that whole thing right there, in my opinion. See, I thought Buddy Rose absolutely stole the show. That was a great interview. And, you know, I, I, when he first came here, I did not take him very seriously. I'm like, okay, this is the last guy that's going to be backlin for the title. But, I mean, I, and we have more audio of Buddy as we go along. His interviews were great. His heel persona was great. And, my God, was he good in the ring. He he was good at that time in the ring. And one thing about Buddy, um, when he came in, uh, you mentioned about not taking him as seriously as other people. I think a lot of that had to do with, if you ever watched him in a regular squash match, the jobber actually got a lot of offense in, on him. Yes. I mean, he, Buddy would, Buddy would really try to, you know, whether it was a guy we never heard of before or whether it was Kurt Hennig, Buddy actually let the jobber go over a little. You know, he, he took a, he took a beating from him before he won the match. And that was unlike any other WWF heel. I mean, usually you'd have the guy come in and steamroll his opponent. The opponent mm-hmm. wouldn't even get one offensive move in. And here you've got Buddy having a, a, a competitive match. And then we get to Buddy's body, which was not a typical WWF body. Buddy was a little bit chubby around the waist, let's be honest. Yeah, I looked at him when he came in. Uh, I I really hadn't seen much of him in the uh, back then. I only I only got WWF, and the only other way I knew anybody was through the After magazine. I hadn't seen much about Buddy at all in the After magazines prior to that, and he he just looked like a fat version of Ric Flair to me when he came in. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at this guy. I'm like, wow, okay, he is a big fish in a small pond. That's not. A knock on Portland wrestling. It's just Portland was not the WWF or Florida, Mid Atlantic, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, I was interested, interesting to see. Okay, well, you know, this guy's coming in from here, and you know, I at the time I just wasn't impressed. And here we are, forty years later, and I have a, a great appreciation for all things Playboy Buddy Rose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we I mentioned it too. There, there's a match, and I believe you know that that's the one. Uh, where Buddy and Kurt Hennig, back when Kurt Hennig was a prelim guy, you know, just breaking in. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Buddy took a few incredible bumps in that match over the top rope. Someone please remind me on the Facebook group to post that match because 
it looked to me like Buddy threw heading through Rose over the top rope. It a looked like Buddy was trying to land on his own head. Yeah. And B, it, it felt like this guy was trying to break an ankle or break a leg. That's how incredible these bumps were. That that match was at Allentown, and I, you know, I, you had Allentown and Hamburg. Hamburg had the wooden floor. Allentown had the concrete floor. That match was in Allentown. There was no, you know, maps outside. When Buddy went over that top rope and he landed uh, on that concrete the way he did, uh, I, you have to watch it. I mean, you have to see it to appreciate it. Yeah, someone please remind me on the Facebook group. I will. I know it's available on YouTube. I will uh, post up a link of that. Now, we, we just talked about uh, Mighty Joe Thunder coming in. The return after eight long years of former WWF champion superstar Billy Graham is happening. I remember them announcing it before the show started and just really getting excited. Superstar Billy Graham is coming back. And I knew he had shaved his head because I had seen photos in the after magazines from Houston where he is now sporting a beard and is, is has shaven himself completely bald. Mother Nature kind of took care of that for him for the most part already. The guy had to, the last time I saw him with hair, he had a skullet from hell, and the time had come. So I was ready for that. But what I was not ready for was Kung Fu Superstar Billy Graham. I, totally different from you know I. The only time I've seen him prior to that was you know the old. I, I think they aired the old uh, Graham Bruno Sammartino match or Graham Bob Backlund, one of the two. Um, totally different. I, I didn't, he'd be unrecognizable. I mean, you didn't, you, you couldn't tell that was the same guy. Uh, there were rumors, apparently. I, I never heard one during the time, but there were rumors that the WWF had installed a fake superstar Billy Graham. They were using someone who looked a little bit like him, but was not him. And famously, the year before in 1981, uh, Randy, you know about this. Gorilla Gorilla Monsoon, yeah. 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 He had an article every Sunday, I I believe the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he said that superstar Billy Graham had died. Right. And Cal, (laughs) I just thought of this. Cal Rudman gets on TV on on one of the Philly shows, and he's giving details about how superstar Billy Graham finally had succumbed to cancer. And by the end of his life, he was a toothpick. He's going on and on about details of something that didn't exist, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks with a different person. But anyway, and, and the best part of the monsoon thing was Graham hears about it. He calls Gorilla to say, hey, Gorilla, I'm not dead. Sorry. And could you please print a retraction? Monster refused to print the retraction. He he wouldn't retract it. He would not retract that. I mean, it's so easy. Monsoon is, is afraid he would was afraid he would lose credibility, and all he has to say was, "You know, look, I'm sorry. I was given bad information. I got a phone call from Snoop, yeah. Superstar Billy Graham this week." Yeah, I mean, what's the? I mean, people people found out he wasn't dead when he returned anyway. I mean, yeah, it ain't you know, it ain't like we weren't going to find out the guy's not dead. I, yeah, and- I, I don't know what Monsoon was thinking. I. Obviously, he he wasn't thinking, but monsoon he, he monsoon is is posthumously 
beloved by all and you know people grew up with him and that that's fine i get that but monsoon had a hell of an ego on him i mean he would he would come out i remember he he came out to break up the sergeant slaughter versus pat patterson brawl and he's throwing slaughter around yeah yeah trying to yeah going behind him and throwing him and yeah, I, I heard stories about him and you know from Puerto Rico too. And yeah, he apparently he he wasn't a good guy outside the ring. Yeah, I mean I, I don't I would I yeah, you know what? You if you've heard the stories and you've heard the stories, but I mean he was just not the the sweet old uncle that you saw in primetime wrestling, I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. All right, and so yeah, so we now know superstar Billy Graham is going to have his long-awaited rematches against Bob Backlund. He had last been seen, like I want to say, September, October, nineteen seventy-eight. So now we have this big star coming back, although he looks way different. And Randy, let's face it, he's a lot smaller. He he definitely lost. I mean, if you look at him, it, it looks like somehow or another he lost a little bit of height. But I mean, other yeah. than the height, I mean, he he shrank. Yeah, he shrank in every way possible. He was still, you know, a a big guy compared to a normal guy. You know, a, a bigger guy, but nothing like he was. Uh, what six years prior to that? No, and I'll tell you. Remember, we were talking about like I generally didn't know whether or not guys could quote unquote work. I didn't even realize how bad superstar Billy Graham was during this era until I started getting the observer and and started looking at things more critically. That's how bad mighty Joe thunder was. I didn't notice superstar Billy Graham, but I noticed him. Mm -hmm. Now here is a, a weird schedule by the WWF. I went to the show at the Lowell Memorial auditorium, August 13th, 1982, nothing special except for one match that really stood out. We went to go see the, the Strongbows against Fuji and Saito. That was the main event, and that was the big draw. But we got this weird match, Blackjack Mulligan and Bob Orton Jr., versus, and they won, versus Pedro Morales and Tony Gurria. That, that match, to me, that match is just nuts. You're picking names out of, a, out of a hat here. I think they did that a lot when they, I, I don't know if there's scheduling conflicts or what, but occasionally they'd throw together two random phases and two random heels that, Never teamed before and never teamed after that. This is an I, example of that, I think. Uh, yeah, I actually kind of like that as a WWF fan growing up, that you would get this weird match between two mongrel tag teams in Lowell, Massachusetts. I remember seeing uh, Magnificent Morocco and Angelo Mosca Jr. teaming up in Fitchburg in 1981 against Martel and Gurria. I'm like, oh, this is great, these two guys. Oh. Occasionally they do that, and uh, I'm trying to think. There were there was a match in Philly. We're I'm going off track here a little bit, but we're talking about it. There was a match in Philly where uh, Tiger Chung Lee uh, no showed or couldn't make it, and they had the Invaders against Mister Fuji and Charlie Fulton, <laughs> and that was that was just you know a match like that would would never air on you know, the regular show that was like, you know, the Philadelphia spectrum when they aired spectrum wrestling, you know, the bigger show, but uh, you don't, you don't see things like that happen too often. No, you don't. And and now you don't see them. Well, for the past 30 years, you haven't seen them yeah. happen at all. Even longer than that, as soon as the Hogan era uh, came to pass like that, those days were over for the most part, but I wanted to, I wanted to 
just mention something. I noticed on history of WWE.com, they've got the crew in Lowell, Massachusetts on August 13th. Then they go all the way down to Baltimore, August 14th. That's 10 hours by car. Then they're back up here in Manchester on August 15th and in Salisbury, Mass. on August 16th. So this makes no sense. But anyway, um, I, I don't know why I never went to see wrestling at the Frolics at Salisbury Beach, Massachusetts, because we liked going to the beach and we liked wrestling. So why not put these thing, two things together? But we never did it. I don't Cape Cod Coliseum, too. We never did. I don't understand. We did that one time. We went to uh, Wildwood, and they, they used to have wrestling at the convention hall on the boardwalk in Wildwood, New Jersey. And, yeah, you kind of mix that little vacation. You get a wrestling show in there if you're lucky. And uh, my dad and I actually went to a Wildwood show in 81. Um, uh, nothing special. Like, I remember Bulldog Brower was there. Just It was just oh. wrestling at the beach, you know, on convention hall. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, Bulldog 1981 Bulldog Brower, who I think lives somewhere in Delaware and would come out of retirement if the, if the matches were close enough, and certainly Wildwood was. Yeah, I'm thinking, but by 82, we're talking about 82. I'm pretty sure Brower was, he was gone by that time, right? I think so. Yeah, I, think I, th- maybe- I, think, I think after 81, he, we never saw him again. No, he was like starting beginning of 1980. Even before that, he was no longer on TV. So I I figured he just retired. And then, you know, I eventually learned that, yeah, he he wrestled a little bit if it was close enough to where he lived. All right. Let's now hear from Ivan Putski a little uh, for review purposes only talking about his, his upcoming match. With us now, ladies and gentlemen. The Super Bowl himself, Ivan Putsky, notwithstanding your matchup in Madison Square Garden as guest referee and a whole lot of other things you have going for yourself these days. The wrestling fans of Long Island have looked forward to your appearance for a long time. And on September 4, at Labor Day weekend, that's Saturday night, Ivan Putsky, you're going to pit your skills against Cowboy Bob Orton. That's right. You know, it's been a long time, a long while I've been in Long Island. You know, I'm looking forward to going back there, Vinny. The people, I love the people there. They're nice to me, and they're always behind me. They're always supporting me. But I'll tell you what, you know, Bob Orton, a great wrestler, great athlete, but I tell you what, he's got some bad ways. I'm going to straighten him out in Long Island, Nassau. I want my Polish army to be there because Polish pie is coming down ready 100%. Ivan Putski without anything relevant to say whatsoever. I, I have no comment on that one, but... <laughs> All right, I'll tell Leo. Well, let's go straight to another one then. Ivan was just like filling up space. Uh, and once again, I apologize for the static. It is surviving footage, but let's hear from Captain Lou Albano and Jimmy Snooker. On August 30, Mr. Albano, when once again Mr. Snooker locks up with Pedro Morales in Madison Square Garden, what are you hopeful of happening well, on that occasion? I'm hopeful of happening. It had to be so frustrating for Pedro Morales. He actually had to attack me in a previous encounter. The man was so frustrated and keyed up and didn't know what to do. Once again, to be humiliated for before all his many, many fans came out into the ring of Madison Square Garden, some 23,000 people seeing Pedro Morales once again going down in defeat. But that wasn't enough, Morales. 
You Mexican pepper belly, you. That wasn't enough. All right. This time, I'm giving Jimmy Snooker orders not only to defeat, but to maim and to cripple and to cripple a Pedro Morales. Ivan Putsky, guest referee. Yes, Ivan Putsky, guest referee. I didn't want this, but I've accepted. That's how confident I am in my champion. To maim, to cripple. I like how Lou Aldano, during this era, all of a sudden is speaking some sort of gibberish language to Fuji Saito and, and Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> Albano, yeah, he, he had his own language. It, it, it came about anytime there was vodka nearby, I think. Um, <laughs> he, he really, he, he was... Whereas the wizard never got involved, Albano always got involved one way or another. And Albano could, you know, take a bump and, you know, I, I liked Albano too back in the day. He he was good, crazy on the microphone. Um, evident with that interview right there. Um, but yeah, he would he would make up all kind of, kind of like Nikita Koloff did. He'd make up words that were not part of any <laughs> language. And, you know, he'd yell them and people believed them. <laughs> you know what? For me personally, I was so used to my uh, Lou Albano every Saturday routine that like I, back then I didn't even blink when I saw an interview like that. It's like, you know, I, I've seen it a million times. And over the years, I've really come to appreciate how great Captain Lou Albano was. He was every bit as great a manager as the the top guys out there. He was the lead heel in the WWF for like 10 years. And, you know, and I, I think it was overdue that he got put in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. He totally deserves it. Oh, definitely. I, Lou, he, he's another guy, no matter how long, he would have always been taken care of, I believe. And I think they, they did, they brought him in occasionally, I think as, you know, late as the early nineties, maybe, um, he was in a little bit here and there with, uh, Afa or Sika, I forget which one, but they had him on TV from time to time. Albano, after he got fired by the WWF, like mid 86 and, you know, it was, it was basically, it wasn't like you're fired on the spot, go home. It was like, all right, Lou, you know, we're not using you anymore. Do you want to have a retirement ceremony or just want to go home? Uh, but there was, there was heat between Albano and McMahon. I mean, Albano, anytime he had a microphone in front of him would go after the WWF. I remember, uh, you remember Herb Abrams, UWF, right? Yeah. Yep. He had Herb Abrams himself. Bruno Sammartino and Lou Albano had this long, drawn-out, like, 20 minutes of bitterness segment where Albano and, and Bruno were just going off on the WWF. And that's why I was so surprised in, I want to say, 94, 95, whatever it is, when Albano was on Raw with the Samoans. Yeah, yeah. that's what but, I'm thinking about. I remember him being on Raw when they filmed it in that in the very beginning of Raw, when they I forget where it was, that little arena in New York. Manhattan Center. Raw. That's it, Manhattan Center. I think Albano was there the one time. Yeah, and mm. uh, I was surprised. But like I said, you know, sometimes the more bitter a feud with you have with Vince McMahon, the, the more he wants to have you back. But anyway, all right, we are now going to 
uh, audio footage of a video that Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose put out. This thing is phenomenal. Please remind me to put it up on the Facebook page. Uh, let's hear the audio from that now. Oh, there it is, Mount St. Helens. There he is, Playboy Buddy Rose. What do they have in common? They're the two most dangerous natural forces known to man on the West Coast. What awesome power! Waikiki Beach in Honolulu, Hawaii. Check it out. Look at all the people. Look at the sun beating down on their bodies. All of us in paradise. And who are all of us? You're looking at it. The Playboy, Buddy Rose, and his sweet little mud pies from California. And girls, are we having a good time? We're having a wonderful time, buddy. Are you having a good time, Brooke? Fantastic. All the women that hang around the Playboy have a good time, and they all go first class. And Oh, don't stop. That feels good. All right. The Playboy, Buddy Rose, first class all the way. You know, in professional wrestling, to be the best, you have to be a winner. And that's exactly what I am. I am a winner. I am championship caliber. I am in the top 10 of the highest paid professional wrestlers in professional wrestling. And when you are a winner, you can live this style. The style of first class only. Look at it. Waikiki Beach in Honolulu. All you people are back there on the, in the mainland. And you wish, you wish you were me. You wish you were here. Oh, that feels good. You wish you were here. You wish you had my money. You wish you had this body. You wish you had my women. But you can't have it because you're not me. And because only a few selected few people can live like this. And that's exactly why I make myself noticed. National Hockey League, but here he is scoring a pair of goals against a professional goalie. And here we have Buddy racing the best of the professional skaters. I do the best I do, whatever I do, and I am the greatest thing that professional wrestling has to offer. Show me a little more appreciation. Don't you wish you were me? matches i just like to say jr ewing eats your heart out
please remind me when we when this episode comes out as soon as you hear it say john can you put a youtube up for this video this video the audio does not do it justice this video has to be seen to be believed randy do you remember this video i have no recollection of this whatsoever but i want to see it i, I it really is, do I'm, I'm trying to visualize in my mind i kind of sounds like they 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 made him like a poor man's Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, you know, talking about, um, well, he uh, was talking about his lifestyle and how he, yeah. he could play in the NHL and, oh, the, the hockey goal. That's what I'm thinking of. The hockey goals there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, he talking about the hockey goals and uh, I, I want to see that. I, I have no recollection of that at all. And that was before I got my first VCR in 1983, the beginning of 83. 82 was a little bit, yeah, I don't have as much recollection of everything because I don't have tape of it. No, that's cool. I, I will put the video up. It has to be seen to be believed. I mean, where do I start? My mud pies from California. I have no idea what a mud, what you, I, you call a girl a mud pie. I have no idea what you're conveying to her. I caught that too. I didn't know. I, did he just say mud pie? I don't, I, <laughs> what? A, yeah, I don't, a couple definitions of mud pie that I've known, but uh, none of them involve women. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If you're going to call a girl a mud pie, she better be in the other room as far as I know. I think that might have been just uh, something that came out that uh, they didn't they didn't retake it. They didn't reshoot it. I, I think the wrong word came out of his mouth and they let it go. You called me a what? Anyway. Uh, and, and, I mean, this goalie, Buddy could skate. Buddy absolutely could skate and, you know, could score a goal. But you... You have to see this goalie. It's like they took this guy who could not skate, broke both his ankles, and said, okay, you play goal. Well, he was apparently a, a professional hockey player goalie. So. <laughs> a professional Pro goalie. Yeah, professional goalie. Uh, this, this guy had to be seen to be believed. I mean, it was, you know, it's like he couldn't skate and he was really drunk. This video came on. I remember we, me and my friends would watch the WOR wrestling uh, at midnight at my friend's house. Okay. He, you know, we were both like 16, 17 years old, but he had a finished basement. The parents were two stories up, so we didn't bother anybody. And my friend Rob, who wasn't a big wrestling fan, he was just hanging out with us, sees this video and has a meltdown. I swear to God. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. I wish I had some skank putting her hands all over me. Oh, I wish I was some fat bleach blonde guy. He was legitimately angry after seeing this video. It's just such a great memory. We do have to. I, you have to put that link up. I, I got to see that. It, it is. It is absolutely insane. And before we go, I want to thank our studio audience for coming out to the show. I hope you guys had a great time. Give yourselves a round of applause. 
Okay, that wraps up part one of my conversation with Randy Smith regarding the World Wrestling Federation summer of 1982, 40 years ago. I can't believe it. Uh, Before we go, I want to encourage everyone to listen next week for part two. I want to thank Lou Kippelman for doing the producing of this show, the magic he does. Thank you, Lou. Oh, I've been asked a couple of times. Richard O'Sullivan, when are you going to talk about this guy again? August 5th, two weeks from today, two weeks from this podcast coming out, we're going to talk a little bit more about Richard O'Sullivan. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This concludes our podcast day. 